start off with this point. Last week we talked about uh, the action people <clears throat> surrounding Jesus in the time that he walked the earth. Uh, we talked about uh, the assassins and we talked about the, uh, the, the, uh, the zealots and we talked about those. Now we're going to talk about the rich frat boys. Um, you know, it's those people that think they are um, privileged because of who, what family they come from. Right? So, uh, and they're commonly known as the Sadducees. And then we're going to talk about the Herodians. Okay? Kind of been there with them, but not actually part of what they do. They're, and we'll talk about that later. I'm really excited, before I get there, I want to tell you, I'm really excited about January and starting the series that we're going to do on studying the Bible. Uh, in fact, I'm so excited that I'm, I'm kind of debating where to start. I mean, where, you know, where do you, what, what do I want to tell you first? That's how excited I am about helping you and helping ourselves in any way open our Bibles and understand them better. Okay. Uh, so, you know, please make a point to, to invite a friend and, uh, to come and be a part of that because uh, what we're doing is, uh, what I hope to do is as we do that, to actually open up, a, for instance, a passage of scripture or a text or a verse and, and each week look at that, do what we're doing with it and kind of make it a sermon and a a tool at the same time. Does that make sense? For instance, um, one of the first lessons we do is on translations. Right? So you'll need to bring your Bible. Uh, how many of you use the uh, the King James? Anybody King James? Okay, good. Um, New American Standard? Okay, sure. Um, anybody use the New International Version? That's uh, We have an 84 in the pew. Uh, there's a difference between the 84 and the 2002. Okay, uh, so we need to kind of talk about that when we get there. Uh, anybody use the New Living Translation? A couple of people do that. Okay, it's just it's uh, called a dynamic equivalent, but we'll talk about what that means and the strengths and the weaknesses of that. Uh, and then what we'll do is we'll take a passage of scripture. For instance, uh, we would take say Acts two thirty eight, since we're all familiar with it. And then what we'll do is we'll just look at that. Okay. And we'll see how it reads differently, okay, but how those readings help you understand the meaning better, all right? But how, if it's a good translation, all right, if it's a good translation, if it's an honest and good translation, I tell people this all the time. If you give me a good, honest translation, I can show you the plan of salvation, okay? It's not hard, okay? Because God made that where we could understand it. What gets, what causes a problem uh, are translations that have a bent to them, okay? Either a theological bent or a, a societal pressure kind of thing. Um, let me just give you this up front. Reader's Digest came out with a a, uh, a version not too too long ago. There's a difference between a version and a translation. Uh, they came up, came up with a version in which they made the word God. Uh, they did it in a in a gender neutral. So instead of saying you know God. The Father, they just God the Parent. Okay, uh, and instead of saying Him or He, you know, did this, it was you know uh, they or it, you know, kind of thing, kind of, and it just ruins the whole thing. Uh, I think it's Abba translates. Yeah, uh, and Abba translates. Yeah, I'm just saying, you know, you, what do you do? And so we'll we'll talk about that. Okay, so I'm excited about doing that and and helping you and then, you know and then like you said. Uh, going back and forth with that. So, we'll look at so I'm excited about it. And then as we move on into commentaries, we'll talk about what to look for. Uh, and we'll talk about the footnotes in your Bible, okay, which are not inspired, by the way. 
Uh, and, so that, and so I'm excited. January's coming up, so get ready and, and like I said, bring a friend. All right, during the time of Jesus, last week we talked about as he would walk through the crowds, there were all kinds of different agendas and tensions going on because they're occupied land. Rome had come and taken over the, um, the land of Israel. Okay, they, it was part of the Roman Empire. All right? So uh, Caesar was the king, but he didn't want to rule everybody from Rome. So what he did was he set up these rulers, governors, if you will. Remember Pilate? Okay. Pilate was the governor over Judea. Herod was still the title king, uh, but he had a limited role in, in, in establishing the, the uh, keeping the peace, if you will, for Rome. That was his job. Okay? As long as Herod kept everybody under Rome's thumb, then he was okay, and he could stay in his palace, and he could rule whatever, take taxes from the people, uh, and, and do whatever he wanted to. But you know, he answered to Rome. Now, having said that, there were a lot of people who didn't like that. Right? They didn't like the fact that Rome ruled them. They didn't like the fact that Herod had his own people in there. They didn't like the fact that there were certain people of their own number okay, who were loyal to Herod or loyal to Rome uh, and that they were Jews okay, because some of them really felt strongly about this is our promised land. It belongs to us. So we should have it back. There you get your zealots and your sicarii, and, and, and we talk about those assassins and that kind of thing, because they felt like violence was an answer to bringing that about. Okay? Now, back 200 years before Jesus comes, there is a group that are given responsibility from the time of Ezekiel uh, on Covenant Sakadim. I say this right. The Sakadim. Okay? The Sakadim. Okay? And the Zakadim uh, were, were of the priestly families. Okay? And you have to understand that you know, when you're a Jew, there are certain people who have certain privileges. Right? And among those were the priests. Okay? Because the priests were, were given the responsibility to represent the people before God. It was the high priest who would enter the Holy of Holies once a year with the, with the, with the, with the, with the sacrifice. It was the priest who carried on the priestly duties, even up to the time of Jesus. You remember this, the father of John the Baptist, okay, was actually doing duty at the temple at the time he learned that his wife was going to be pregnant. Okay? So they still operated inside the temple. There was still a priestly family, the Levites and their, and their families, who would, who would still minister and, and work at the temple. From that group, then, there were people who were their families, they were very highly esteemed because they were priests. And they were called Sadducees. And that Sakadim were Sadducees, okay, and the terms interchangeable, uh, they began to be recognized as a specific group religiously around, oh, uh, like I said, 200 years before Jesus came, up to about 70 years after, okay, when the fall of Jerusalem happened, and after the fall of Jerusalem and the temple was destroyed, uh, that, that time or desecrated and destroyed, uh, then they, you know, they just kind of ceased to exist. Now, what what's wrong with the Sadducee? Well, we sing that little song in Vacation Bible School. You know, I don't want to be a Sadducee because they're so sad. You see, that's actually kind of true. They um, they're a group of people who understand that they're people of privilege. They have this very limited idea about 
the law of Moses. They felt like the first five books were all they needed. That's like taking your Bible and only living by the New Testament. You ever heard that one? Mm -hmm. yeah. You people down there at that church, all y'all do is just live by the New Testament. Y'all don't believe in the whole Bible. Yeah. It's not true. Yeah. You need the whole Bible to understand the plan of God. And you need that whole Bible to give you the examples of faith that we need. And you need that whole Bible so that it comes together. Because when the Hebrew writer quotes Psalm 40, you need a Psalm 40 to go to. All right? When Paul, you know, quotes a scripture from back in Isaiah, you know, you've got to pull that forward. So, having said that, they were conservative. Now, if you will, turn to Luke chapter 20. Okay. Luke chapter 20. And let's look at verse 27, and then we're going to go over to Acts 23. <clears throat> they didn't like Jesus and the Sadducees. They didn't like Jesus for several reasons. Okay. Let me try to put it in their shoes if I could. If someone were to come... And they were to be teaching that the law of Moses is very practical, and it's how you would approach God, but it's more a matter of the motivation behind it than the actual practice of it, right? Now follow me through on this. Is that, for instance, Jesus would say, you have heard that it was said, thou shalt not murder. But I say unto you, do not become angry with your brother. Why? Because where does, where does murder come from? That's what I mean. It comes from the anger that's in your heart. Why? So Jesus says, yes, the command still stands. Don't murder. But getting angry with somebody is like wishing them dead. Because you're going to treat them that way. And we could go on and on about the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus does that. You see what I mean? But the Sadducees didn't like that. Because now what you're saying, Jesus, to them, the way they heard it, what you're saying is that you don't need us as priests to do the sacrifices. To which Jesus would say what? You're right. Because I have come for two things. First of all, I'm going to become the high priest. Hebrews chapter 7, after the order of Melchizedek. And then my followers are going to become the priesthood of believers. 1 Peter chapter 2. Now, you stop thinking about it. All those 200 years, you've been raised, spoon-fed, and told that you are special because you are part of a priestly family. Nobody else has that genealogy. Nobody else has that pedigree. Nobody can do those things but you. And then all of a sudden somebody comes and says, you know what? You are obsolete. How do you feel? How do you feel? And, and... On top of all that, he goes and does this. Watch this. In Luke chapter 20, verse 27. Now there came to him some of the Sadducees who say that there is no resurrection. Now wait a minute. Turn over to Acts 23, verses 7 and 8. Acts 23, verses 7 and 8. Paul, on trial, says, As he said this, there occurred a dissension between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided, verse 8, for the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, nor an angel, nor a spirit, but the Pharisees acknowledge them all. There lies the difference between Pharisees and Sadducees, and Jesus is out there teaching, well, not teaching, raising people from the dead. There's Jesus out there throwing demons out of people. Okay? Obviously, there's spirits. 
obviously there's a resurrection. Okay? And Jesus comes and flies in the face of all that. So what do you think they would want to do? Well, they began to take that into their heads, this, this privilege, if you will. And they began to think that they were pretty special. In fact, they were given, they were given um, the prime seats or the, 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 the choice seats in what's called the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was something allowed by the Roman government where the, the Jews, as a religious body, could, could enforce their own laws. Right? If you go into Leviticus, I think you all spent considerable time in Leviticus and Wednesday nights. When you go in and you look at all those laws, the Romans, if you know any history about the Roman Empire, the Romans really didn't care you know, what you did sexually, just to say that. Okay? Um, but the law of Moses was very strict. Right? Up to the point where they were allowed to still stone people. And you know that because they brought the woman out in John chapter 8, remember? Okay. They bring her before Jesus and said, this woman is caught in an adulterous act and she needs to be stoned. What say you? Okay. Right? The Romans, you take care of that. In fact, that's what Pilate said to the Jews when they brought him to them. They said, he has broken our law. And Pilate said, what's that to me? You take care of it. So they had to kind of come from a different way. Says, well, if we're going to get Rome to do this execution thing, we've got to do something else. So they fudge a little bit and says, well, he says he's supposed to be a king. Now Pilate can get involved. So the Sadducees are behind all that. So you can kind of see in their, in their train of thought what's happening is, is that they don't mind bending the truth, but they want that law followed. Right? Now, they had 71 seats, sort of like a Congress. Let's put it that way. It's just to give us a, a, an equivalent for today. 71 seats, most of them held by the Sanhedrin. Most of those were seats that were handed down family to family. In other words, my great-granddaddy had this chair um, in, in the Congress, and I get it because of him, because of my dad, etc., etc. Okay? So they had the 71 members. Now, there were some Pharisees on the Sanhedrin as well. There were some Pharisees, prominent businessmen, and we'll talk about them next week. But the Sadducees were the ones who held that council, and they're the ones who were very strict. In fact, when you remember, okay, when you remember the trial of Jesus, okay, when he's brought and they strike him, okay, remember they strike Jesus because he said, I, you know, I don't want to have to answer that question, and he said, you know, you're talking back to the high priest, and he strikes him, you know, kind of thing. Then, you know, what happens is they're very strict about how they follow it because the law says you would not speak against your religious rulers, except at the witness of two or three people. Very strict, very harsh. In fact, they were the ones who really pushed for an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. They really, really believed that. So, yes, they would stone people. And yes, they would make those decisions. But they always had to do that underneath Roman rule. Didn't like that, but they kept their privilege. They were threatened by Jesus. And so often they find themselves... Well, John comes in Luke chapter uh, 3, and he calls them a brood of vipers, because he lumps the Pharisees and the Sadducees both into that, but he calls them a brood of vipers. Jesus will condemn the Pharisees in Matthew 23, but he also lumps the Sadducees in there on several other occasions. Now, as you look at that, then look at Matthew 16, verses 1 through 5. Matthew 16, verses 1 through 5. The Pharisees and the Sadducees came up 
And testing Jesus, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. Now remember, the Sadducees don't believe in signs from heaven. They, they, you know, so what are they doing there? Well, they're just kind of, I think they're kind of, they, for what I get, they're kind of pushing the Pharisees along and saying, you get him in a trap here, we'll, we'll support you. But he replied to them, when it is evening, you say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning there will be a storm today, for the sky is red and threatening. Do you know how to discern the appearance of the sky, but cannot discern the signs of the times? An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and a sign will not be given it except the sign of Jonah. And he left them and went away. He does that a lot. He leaves them and goes away, and you can just see him kind of going, mouth open, you know, flies flying at them. And in verse 5, And the disciples came to the other side of the sea, but they had forgotten to bring any bread. And Jesus said to them, verse 6, Watch out and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Why is it important to understand the Sadducees? Historically, they had a place. They were the people who antagonized Jesus. They tested him. They plotted against him. They wanted him to be gone because he threatened their power uh, and their position kind of thing. But more importantly, it was their influence. Because what happens sometimes is that even in church, there is this influence that said or spreads out that one person is more important than another person. That's what I mean. That because they have been a member of the church for generations that suddenly they have more, more say than somebody else who's a new Christian. That maybe because they seem to be more righteous than other people that we should elevate them and follow them rather than being, being expressive of everyone and helping everyone's faith to grow. Follow them? It's that influence, that privilege kind of thing that, that kind of influences people. So the Sadducees were a distraction. They were a distraction to the early church. They are... They are an antagonist or antagonism to a, a, a nuisance to Jesus, if you will. But they are sad because there is no hope for them. You live, you die. There is no resurrection. There is no spirit. There are no angels. There are no you know. Anything. So this is the sad life. But those were the Sadducees. Now let's talk about the Herodians, if we could. When you talk about the Herodians, these are more people who are are Jewish, but. The reason they're called Herodians is because they they support King Herod, okay, who was the the ruler in Israel by Rome's permission. Right. <clears throat> now they were sympathetic to Herod. If you know anything about Herod, you know it was his grandfather who wanted to kill Jesus when he was a baby. So you can kind of understand. Jesus had no regard for Herod, the one. That tried to kill him, or the one that was his grandson. <coughs> Either way, so you look at that in Luke. Um, in fact, in Luke thirteen thirty one, if you look there with me, in Luke thirteen thirty one, Herod actually says, just at that time, some Pharisees approached, saying to him, "Go away, leave here, for Herod wants to kill you." So now the Herodians, obviously, if they support Herod. They would want what Herod wants. Herod wants to kill Jesus by logical extension, then the Herodians would want what? They would want the same thing. They would want Jesus dead. Now, the Pharisees had already hatched plots against them, according to John 11, verse 53. And so they all joined their efforts the, the, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the Herodians. Now, 
The first time they appear in Scripture, and there's only about three times that they're mentioned in Scripture. Okay? Mark 3 and verse 6 says, Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. If the Herodians are sympathetic with Herod and the Pharisees want Jesus dead, and they get the Pharisees to back them up, then what are the Pharisees going to do next? Well, they're going to get the Herodians, all right, to go into league with them because they have whose ear? Herod. Okay? So Herod says, that's a good thing. Now let's get rid of him because he's a threat to us. He was a threat to my grandfather. He's a threat to me. And I think, great. So now we've got the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the Herodians, and they all want Jesus dead, which is sad. But can you see the scriptures in Galatians chapter 4 when it says, When the fullness of time had come, God sent his son, born of a virgin, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might all have sonship or citizenship uh, and be called the sons of God, or the children of God. When you look at that, this place conspired against Jesus. There were these political tensions, these religious tensions, and all of this, and Jesus comes and challenges all of them. Somebody the other day sent me a, a text. In fact, my daughter did. She sent me this text. She says, you know, when someone asks you, what would Jesus do? Okay. says, remind them that, that flipping over tables and chasing people with whips is not out of the realm of possibilities. All right. Which is true. Okay, Jesus challenged the status quo. Right. He purposely cleared the temple because they were not honoring God. How do you think that made the Sadducees feel? He purposely called Herod that sly fox in the Gospels when he had arrested John uh, the Baptist. You know, he purposely did that. Herod didn't like him politically. The Pharisees didn't like him socially. The Sadducees didn't like him religiously. Nobody liked Jesus in that except who? Who liked Jesus? <clears throat> the people who didn't have position or, or privilege or you know the, the 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 ruling class, if you will, they didn't they didn't like it, but everybody else loved him because he spoke as one with authority. He helped them in their times of need, and he gave them hope for something better. Now, like I said, I think the message here for us this evening is this: we need to take this scripture. Okay, we need to take this scripture. And it needs to become our law. Okay? Romans chapter 8 says, There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ has set me free from the law of sin and death. Why? There is a law. Never get away from that. You know, there is a law, and it's a spiritual law, right, that has to do with changing who we are and shaping our actions from the inside out. Follow me? Okay. So when we follow the rules, if you will, I know we get blamed you know, for being rule keepers, but the idea is that there are rules to follow. There, is, there are things that have to happen. There are right ways and wrong ways in which to act. We need to go to our scriptures and we need to revere them and count them as the holy word of God and follow what they say. Not because of the words, but because of the spirit that they cause within us to grow and to do things as God would want them done. And there's the secret. To do things as God wants them done. So it's not a Sadducee thing where it says, you know what, I'm going to accomplish something like moving up a level or two, you know, in some great multi-marketing program where if I do so many commandments, I move up. And if I'm born to the right family, I'm more special than everybody else. I just want to follow the book. I think that's a neat thing to take into the world. We've got the book. 
just follow the Lord. But the Herodians were different in that they trusted a man. They thought that if they were friendly with Herod, maybe he was sort of a Messiah de facto. And what I mean by that is this. If they could get on Herod's good side and Herod could somehow broker a peace with the Romans, then they would have peace in Israel and everybody would be happy. Well, that's kind of like um, selling your soul to the devil, isn't it? In other words, you're kind of doing something to get something else to happen, hoping good things happen as a result of it, and you know the whole premise of that thing was not going to work. In fact, in Psalm 118, verses 8 and 9, it says, It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. So, where are we to put our trust? We don't put our trust in political rulers. That's kind of hard to say these days, isn't it? Well, maybe not. You know, maybe it's not so hard to say that. We shouldn't trust the outcome of God's work and kingdom to people who are in political power. Nor should we trust the outcome to those who are, for some reason, privileged or thought of as privileged among us. The word of God comes to every heart. It comes to every soul. And all of us are responsible as a priesthood of believers coming through faith and coming by faith to God. Embracing his grace in baptism and living as the priest of the belief, with Jesus being our high priest. And we have the privilege of sharing that good news with the world. That doesn't make me sad, and it doesn't make me a sellout. What it does is it makes me a Christian. Never forget, I don't know if you of you knew Zella Day, uh, but Zella was a sweet little lady you know, at the nursing home. And she sat down to me one time and she said, Scott, she said, I love you. And I said, well, thank you, Zella. She said, I just need to know something. She said, are you saved? And I said, well, yes, Zella, I am. Thank you for asking. She said, then why aren't you a part of the church where I attend, which wasn't here? And I said, well, Zella, because I consider myself a Christian and only a Christian. And she looked at me kind of funny. She said, I've never heard that before. Here's my message to you. We have a unique message for our day and age. We believe in being only Christians. Not some XYZ slash hyphen whatever Christian. We don't believe that we're going to do this to be some political party to change the way that our country is ruled. Okay? What we insist is by being Christians only and by worshiping God by His word and His way and if people would do that, then our country would take care of itself. Right? In fact, the world would take care of itself. And that's the message we need to take. We want people to become Christians and to live by the rule of God in their life as members of the kingdom and to follow his way okay, as being people who grow in the spirit and walk by. And there's an invitation. Okay? As you go out in the coming weeks, you go out there and you share that message with people. I am a Christian only, and I have the freedom and privilege of worshiping God and following His way. And that, my friends, is prudence. You need to respond to God's invitation tonight. Prayer or baptism, or you can help me to someone. You come to the front and make your need known. Together we stand.